This is Clinical Grade by Healthy.io, where we speak with some of the leading visionaries in healthcare. I'm Tal Crows. Today we're talking chronic wounds and how to treat them. Our guest is Dr. David Armstrong. He's professor of surgery at the University of Southern California, a legendary podiatrist and world-renowned expert in wound healing and the diabetic foot. Leading the conversation is Dr. Joanne McArdle. She has a wealth of experience as a podiatrist and digital health expert, both with the NHS and in the private sector. Now, this is a conversation I know you will enjoy, whether you're a wound care professional or totally unfamiliar with the field. You'll hear about what first drew Dr. Armstrong to podiatry, his groundbreaking work to digitize wound care, and how he brings data-driven optimism to what can be a pessimistic practice. And as a bonus, you'll get plenty of his trademark charm and good humor. So without further ado, let me hand over the microphone to Dr. Joanne McArdle. Firstly, thank you so much. Professor Armstrong for arranging to to chat with us and give us some of your time. The nicest way to start with it, I think, would be just to talk about you a little bit, about you, your podiatry background. So please, David, would you tell us a little bit about your journey to become a podiatric surgeon and what that means for your family? Well, sure. Thanks, Joanne. It's good to see you, by the way. Uh, Peri-pandemic or post or there's some sort of variant there something of that nature. Uh, and hello, by the way, from uh, uh, just outside of clinic here, which is raging on. I can see it happening uh, here at the National Rehabilitation Center at Rancho Los Amigos. You see our parking structure there. As usual, a beautiful uh, sunny day here in Los Angeles in Southern California, just like I'm sure uh, uh, in Scotland, wherever you are, whether a Glaswegian or in Edinburgh or somewhere in between, uh, you know, Sterling, uh, uh, Aberdeen, just like that. I'm in Edinburgh, the nicest part, David. Edinburgh is the nicest bit of Scotland. And if, and if you were Glaswegian, you, you would say the exact same thing as well. So we'll balance it out here in Los Angeles. So I'm a, as you said, uh, Joanne, you know this, I'm a, I'm a foot doctor. And um, I'll say that I can think of two sort of great uh, gifts uh, from working uh, at the end of uh, this sort of anatomic peninsula at kind of at the end of the body. Uh, the first is this, you know, kind of in this era of sort of chest thumping and uh, hubris, I can't think of anything that's more of an expression of humility um, than looking after someone's feet. Um, you know, it sort of transcends religion and, uh, uh, you know, borders uh, and even time. It, it, if, if you tending to someone's feet is an, is the deepest expression of humility. So you have that. Uh, um, and so the other thing, the other great gift I could think of before we even get into it, why I got into it is that it, it, in working at the end of the body, as I said, on this peninsula, you get this wonderful gift of perspective, right? Where, where you, you know, you're, you're out there kind of hanging out and you can either just continue to hang out there by yourself on the peninsula, um, or you can choose to sort of collaborate with the anatomic mainland. Um, and we sort of choose the latter. And in doing that, it makes for some crazy clinics, but it also makes for, I mean, it's a, worth a life's work, you know? I mean, it's great. Uh, but what it, what it also is, is, you know, I got into this specialty, Joanne, um, because my pop, my father um, was a foot doctor and I kind of grew up with it in his office, in his clinic. You know, he's the smartest guy I ever knew, but I saw how hard he worked um, and uh, to try to move the, the 
the, the discipline along. And I thought, man, this, this, uh, this could be, uh, this could be fun, even though it's uh, this humble little discipline at the end of the body. Uh, uh, so, uh, anyway, there you are. That's the, that's the prequel. Did you always know then that you wanted to be involved with feet? Well, well, look, I, I, uh, I was always, you know, I worked in my dad's, uh, office periodically you know, from time to time. And I, all of my, you know, I knew all the nurses in my, my dad's clinic, but of course I had, you know, a lot of other, uh, you know, I, I, I loved, uh, so many other things as a kid, you know, I, I played, you know, all the woodwinds. I wanted to be a saxophonist and I played a lot of big bands and, but finally, uh, I, I, kind of alighted in university on, on medicine. Uh, and, and when I did, I, I thought to myself, well, could I do, you know, what other specialties could I do? And then I thought to myself, I looked at my father and how hard he worked in to try to advance this, this humble little specialty. And I thought, man, um, this would be great to try to, to try to pay it forward a little bit. There you are. That's that's sort of the uh, backstory there. It's not the backstory of how I kind of got involved in uh, in so-called limb preservation and limb salvage and podiatric surgery, but it is backstory and how I ended up wanting to be a toe doctor. Yeah, but to be honest, like you said there, you know, you you wanted to move it forward a little bit, and you've moved it forward a lot. And we'll get on to your sort of journey towards um, diabetes, foot, and wounds, and it kind of segues really nicely into it. I got interested in in people with with, uh, with with diabetes and and what we now call limb preservation as a um, as a resident. When I was resident in Detroit, I I remember it so well. Um, now, come to think of it, now that you're bringing it up there, Joanne, I, I I've had kind of a series of epiphanies in my life, but one of them was this: was I I um, had just finished my first surgery. As a young doctor, you know, young uh, uh, student uh, doctor, we call it a resident in the United States, and and uh, I was just an intern. You know, I didn't know what I knew, didn't know what I don't know. Now I I know what I don't know even more, and I don't know a lot more now. If that's confusing for you, uh, I remember being in the operating room with one of my friends and, and mentors, uh, uh, Doctor Guy Pup, and I was in the operating. What a nice name, isn't that? That sounds very kind of British, doesn't it, Pup? I was uh, and and I. We were working on this young uh, college athlete, and uh, he was this big, six foot nine inch, just a giant Adonis of a guy. Um, and uh, that may have even been his name, actually, but just a big guy, six foot nine uh, or more. And we were just fusing a couple of bones in him, but they're the, you know big screws. And I finished putting those in his feet, and, and I really felt great because I thought we really helped him. And then the very next day, um, we were going to see him. To uh, uh, he spent the night, um, you know, for to get his cast on and for pain relief and such. Uh, and the next day, we we're going to see him change a uh, dressing in the clinic before he went off uh, uh, back to living his life. And uh, so I was in clinic then, and I was going to help out as uh, as they were breaking down his dressing. Um, and he, as they were doing that, I popped over to the room next door, um, and the room next door. Uh, so there's this big six foot nine guy, kind of writhing in pain after his surgery. And then right next door is this woman, this little woman, she was maybe four foot nine or shorter. And, and, and the whole room is full because she has her whole, all of her family members and she didn't speak English, but she was from India. Um, and, 
um, I saw there's this little wound on the bottom of her foot. I, I didn't know much back then, but I knew that you're supposed to clean, clean it up and, and trim it up. Uh, and so as I'm talking to her, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm debriding her wound. And as I'm chatting with her, she's, you know, literally she was just off the airplane from, from South Asia, from, 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 I think Chennai, as I recall. Um, and, and, uh, her, her son, her oldest son is like the boss of the family. He's sort of translating and they're just such a wonderful family. You could tell already, uh, uh, like so many of our patients, and she's just so gentle, quiet, and I'm talking to her, almost operating on her foot, making it bleed, and she's telling me all this stuff about how she thinks she developed the wound, and then she also told me that uh, she had leprosy, um, and I didn't know much about leprosy, but I knew you know, a little bit about it, um, and then I looked at her hand, and her hand was um, burnt on, on the end of her hand. You could see, and there was like a little bit of, of, uh, of a wound there, and I thought, what the heck is going on here? Um, and it turns out that she, you know, she likes to cook and she would reach into the oven to turn the non bread and turn it over in the oven. And she just burned her fingers and she does this regularly. Uh, um, and so, like I said, what the heck? And so I sort of step back and, and I step back and I see these two rooms. I swear to God, I'm thinking about it right now. And these two rooms are there. It's kind of on a little circular thing as I'm, this is too much information for you, but there you are. And, and in one room is this giant man, rightfully, he's in pain postoperatively. He had a reconstructive surgery. Um, and then there's this little lady, right, um, who has a wound on the bottom of her foot that I just operated on without any anesthesia, right? I was, and she's you know, uh, bleeding a bit. And she just burned her, some of her fingers off because of her leprosy and because of her diabetes and this neuropathy. And I said, boy, uh, you know, uh, uh, pain or the absence of pain, I thought, what the heck? Because we're trained as human beings, right, uh, to respond to pain or to respond to painful stimuli. Uh, and and we're trained as clinicians to treat pain or symptoms. But what about the absence of it? That was it. I, I, I was always that. Uh, trust me, I love to operate and all this. But but doing it on people like this who really have no one else to talk to and and they don't have the feedback, by the way, that they used to. That is really a challenge. And it, what a yeah, like I said, I think it's uh, worth a life's work. Well, to make a short story long. Yeah, no, no, that's really interesting. So um, one of the things that I was thinking about when you were talking there was, you know, your experience, my experience. What do you think is the challenges that we're facing now as a clinician with wounds? And do you think those challenges have changed much over the years or do you think they're the same challenges? Um, I guess the answer is yes and, and yes, because... First of all, the basics haven't changed. I mean, we have to do a good quality uh, job of, of uh, uh, you know, cleaning these uh, the, these wounds up and protecting them and allowing people to move through the world and, and heal. Um, so that th those aspects haven't changed. What has changed, though, I think, is the fact that I think we're realizing now that we need to measure what we manage uh, a little bit better uh, th than we have. And uh, in the past, uh, you know, a lot of this was done entirely by, you know, by uh, just as an art, right, where we would, uh, you know, we wouldn't really measure things, we would just manage them. And that's silly. That's like flying an airplane with just a stick and rudder. And while that was great early, early on in the day, um, you know, when everyone is like, a, you know, Red Baron, or as it were, but we don't, need to do that anymore we should be used being instrument sort of certified or or and we should be uh, relying 
uh, on many of the kind of companion diagnostics and theranostics that exist now. And I think there are a lot of ways to measure what we manage a lot better, both with imaging and with kind of like with cancer, you might have what people call um, companion diagnostics or theranostics, things that help direct therapy, if you will, to, to use that term. So I think that may be what we're one of the things that has changed now um, as we kind of move into the future. Um, and, and I'm really happy to see it because it's for the first time, I think we're starting to see this happen a bit, even though you know we've been working on this stuff for, gosh, since I was uh, a student. So it's, it's fun to see it. It's kind of becoming an overnight success in 20 years, one of those things. So I know that you've always been involved in sort of quite more modern techniques of, of doing different things. So. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, there's, yeah, tons of things going on, but just to be simple right now, I mean, the, the old story is what's the best camera you have? Uh, you know, if you talk and, and it's the one you have with you, right? And, uh, and that's, that's why. And of course, it seems so natural now that we all take so many great photographs because of computational, uh, you know, photography now. But everyone basically has a super fancy like Nikon F1 you know, I don't even know these new terms, D5 or whatever in their pocket now with, with their iOS or their Android device or whatever it is. So the ability to, uh, to, to take an image now is, is, has been democratized. So what we've been doing for a while now, uh, people will send what we call a foot selfie. That's what we call it. And so we set up this foot selfie program to where we sort of, and one of my, uh, uh, one of our medical students, Mark Swerdlow, who's now already a fourth year medical student, I can't believe, uh, but uh, this young man has really taken it upon himself. So he set up just a simple app and then it just collates everything. And then um, every Monday we go through all of these, we have what we call foot selfie rounds every Monday at 7 a.m. Um, I had it this morning with Mark. Um, and uh, when I was having my delicious Americano, by the way, uh, but uh, and uh, this is more of an iced variety, not quite as good, but I'll just say it's uh, you know better than nothing. <laughs> uh, but but back to that. And we were reviewing and we could see like 90 of our patients. So we just go through them um, rapidly and, and we're we're identifying um problems uh, that might be, uh, you know, like maybe a little bit of a callus that it might have some bleeding into callus um, that could be predictive of an ulcer. Or maybe we see someone that actually has a wound or maybe we see someone that has a little cellulitis, a little infection or something along those lines. And we go through all these really high risk patients super rapidly. But Soon we're going to have like, uh, and we've played with this. We've toyed with the con with different types of algorithms, AI based algorithms. But I think a lot of the deep learning algorithms will be get better and better and better to identify some of these things as well. I want to. I'd like to explore a little bit about the wound measurement thing. How important that is to you? Because to me, all the evidence around is saying that the like, if you can measure that wound size, then actually, if you can show that, if you can show that it's getting smaller, then you're on your way. If it's staying the same, then you're not on your way. It's really that simple in my mind. So, so is that, what do you think about that, David, as well? I, I agree. I agree. Uh, you know, we should be uh, charting uh, a patient's kind of wound progress, get, hopefully getting smaller, like we would chart a little, like our uh, daughter or our son's uh, 
you know, uh, trajectory uh, when they were a little kid uh, on the wall, like a like a pediatric growth chart in reverse. Right. Um, and, you know, you can show progress. And um, and I think um, most patients love that as well. They love to see, you know, what's my number today? Where was I, you know, uh, you know, last week? And, uh, you know, because that's a that's a something where you can really, you know, work together to try to move forward and. And, and it's, uh, you know, it's a starting point, right? It's a starting point. Um, and w- we love doing that, frankly, because uh, uh, I think it's very, very important. But I think collectively, we still don't do that very well. Um, uh, you know, most of us just measure with a ruler. Um, and, you know, a ruler can be, even if you're doing everything right, can be 30 or 40% inaccurate. We've published this, you know, repeatedly. It's not that you're doing it inaccurate. It's just depending on where you measure and, and if the wound changes sizes a certain way or another way with different shapes, you know, it's a little like looking at a Rorschach uh, test or something when you look at these wounds, whereas, you know, you want to you want to get the whole thing. So that's why it lends itself particularly well to what we call planimetry uh, and planimetric measures, which is either a tracing by you or by a computer um, uh, or by a computer followed by uh, uh, an AI overlay. Yeah, it just gives that more accurate, doesn't it? Like your your rulers, your measurement, even tracing, it can be quite subjective, can't it, to like where you, you think the wind should go. So you mentioned there about um, patients sending you in images. So as when I was um, doing my, my doctorate degree, um, I did a lot around recurrence of ulceration, and I know that's something that you've published quite a lot on as well. So um, do you feel or do you think that there's a place for... Um, that foot selfie for people who have healed? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's that, that's most of our patients. Uh, most of our patients that are in, we, so uh, that, that we, that, we're, that are within our program are already, so we hadn't really talked about this very much, but look, um, after we heal a patient, are they really healed? Or, or are we just, is that the height? I always think it's a little bit hubristic to think that we can heal anyone. I think we can, I think we can do our best to get the skin closed, but you know, at at a year, forty percent of people with diabetes will have a recurrent wound. Uh, it's about two thirds uh, at three years, and you know these data: three quarters, give or take, of patients will have a recurrence at five years. And so, um, you know, recurrence, as we say, is not only common; it's it's likely, and that's okay. But our goal um, will be to make that wound as un unusual and as uncomplicated as possible if and when it recurs. So if, if the foot in diabetes is a little bit like cancer and we haven't really talked about mortality rates um, and uh, things of that nature and cost, but in fact, unfortunately, it is in a lot of ways, this is a life limiting problem until we can get at this to help these patients, then maybe when people are healed, maybe they're not really healed, maybe they're in remission. And that sounds like just a little turn of phrase, but I assure you, sometimes words matter. And in this case, it really does. Because when you use the word, first of all, when you bring up the cancer word, when you tell the patient, when you say, Ms. Garcia, Mr. Berkowitz, thank God you're healed. But you know what? When you had this wound, it automatically shortens your life. This is like cancer. And you say cancer and you see them stiffen up. And you say, but listen, now that you're healed and you see them relax a little because you said healed, just like with cancer and you see them stiffen up a little bit more, you're not really healed um, because you're in remission. And then you see them kind of looking at you a little like, oh, oh, okay. And then you see them nodding their head because you say it's almost certain that in your long life with us together uh, as therapeutic spouses here, it's it's almost certain that you're going to get another wound. But our goal is to make that wound as minor and as insignificant as possible. And we want to keep you out of the hospital. We want to keep you active and we want to keep you 
without a wound. We want to maximize your ulcer-free days, your hospital-free days, and your activity-rich days. And then you see them kind of looking at you, and they've they've uh, you've lost them a little bit because you said cancer, but they're hearing a little more of it now. And we're going to get you in the right shoes. If we need to operate on you to change the way your foot hits the ground, we're going to do this. Uh, and we're going to get you a thermometry, thermometric camera. You can buy at Amazon for twelve bucks. We got all the other things. You can use a fancy bath mat if you want to use that to check your skin temperature. We're going to get you in this foot selfie program. And you're throwing all this stuff at them. And you said, I know that's a lot of stuff right now, but then you dose it out over the next few visits. And and the goal really is to maximize those ulcer uh, free days, those activity rich days, those hospital free days. That's our uh, sort of holy trinity, as it were, of, of, of things to measure, as it were. But, but you're absolutely right. And I think it's I'm already there with you. I totally agree with making sure that they know who to access and things. And and it's just great to hear you talk about it because not everyone realizes that. So is that where you're, I think, is it where you are now, where you were before, like one of the motto was like saving, saving limbs, saving lives, this type of, of message, isn't it? Because can, could you, t I know you mentioned it, but could you just talk about that a little bit for other, for some that don't understand the, or don't realize the, the linkage between having a foot ulcer and potentially losing life? Yeah. So it's not fair to compare one terrible thing to another, but there's plenty of people on, uh, listening to the podcast. Uh, that uh, that care about cancer. We all do, right? We've all had family members that have succumbed or have survived or are living, you know, with it, or even personal experiences, right? But very few people care about diabetes, uh, even if they have it. A lot of people don't. Um, and, and even fewer, I mean, care about feet. I mean, come on. It's like, why? Uh, but uh, uh, so let's compare these things. Um, so every second now around the world, someone gets a diabetic foot ulcer. Once they get that diabetic foot ulcer, their life expectancy or their risk for death that year um, is uh, immediately uh, uh, increases by two and a half fold compared to if they didn't have the wound. That wound by itself increases that risk. Um, so that's number one. And, and so, and there's about a 30, give or take 30, 35% chance that they are going to be dead in five years because they have that wound. So that already is worse by itself with the wound than the average of all cancers, if you look at National Cancer Institute statistics. If they get, a, God forbid, an amputation, uh, like a high-level amputation, their risk for, ampu for, for death uh, at five years is anywhere between 60 and 75% conservatively. Um, and if they have peripheral artery disease, it's a little less than that, or, or I should say significant, what we call critical lower uh, or uh, limb-threatening ischemia. Uh, but you see this, this, unfortunately, this terrible histogram. So the only thing that would be worse than having an amputation um, for some of these patients would be if they had lung cancer or pancreatic cancer in, in terms of their risk for mortality. So this is life-limiting. And we have to talk to our patients that way. There are ways to improve care for sure. And if you get people moving, you can dramatically change that. But we wouldn't think collectively of withholding therapy on someone with lung cancer or with pancreatic cancer, God forbid, or with, with breast cancer. But, but this nihilism, this pessimism happens all the time with diabetes. There's this thought, oh, this patient, she, you're talking to your, your clinician friend, and he or she says, oh, that lady that you're treating, oh, what are you bothering with her? She has this wound. She's just going to get another one. Why don't you just cut her leg off 
and be done with it. I mean, we, we hear this, right? And for some, for some patients, that's probably the best treatment, right? But not for most. I think up, um, almost all the data support that that's a very uh, vanishingly small number. But that kind of pessimism is what we kind of have to get through. But we can't do it until we lay it all out on the line and people know about this, that this is a life shortening, but there is hope because we can extend things like ulcer free days and hospital free days. We can extend activity rich days, whether or not, even if you have an amputation, we can get you moving through the world and be super productive. And this happens all the time. Um, but what matters is, is that social contract between the clinician and her or his uh, patient. And that has to get solidified. You can't do that if you're like withholding stuff from them and you just got to let it all out because this is like your therapeutic spouse. You know, you got to just just this is like your your nuptials, as it were. Uh, so there you are. It's brilliant. It's um, because it is the hard fact, isn't it? And sometimes for some people, it's quite uncomfortable to hear, even as a clinician, that this is the potential outcome. So for me, I'm all about where possible preventative medicine wherever we can if we can catch these people as early as possible and if that's and if we can use that using digital means technology then i'm absolutely all for it and i'm sure you are too yeah and here's the great news now um you know we can um we can get out in front of almost all of this now we can reduce the risk of someone sort of if you will zero converting from pre-diabetes to diabetes by by getting them uh, a little bit more active just a bit um, and uh, onto you know certain drugs like uh, you know like like metformin, we reduce the risk of someone if they have diabetes from getting neuropathy by getting them into better glucose and lipid control. We can reduce the risk of someone that has neuropathy of getting a wound by we've already mentioned this you know foot selfies and and thermometry et cetera et cetera. Um, if someone has horrible um, infection, we can reduce the risk of them getting an amputation through aggressive. Um, limb preservation, limb preserving surgery. Um, here at, at Rancho, I'm looking out at the. Oh, I don't want to look. Uh, that you, you all don't want to look because it's so busy out there. I'm kidding because all my patients are out there. Uh, but but it's a, uh, you know, here at at, uh, at this facility now we've been so fortunate in setting up a limb preservation unit. We've dramatically reduced uh, the uh, rate of amputation uh, in this clinic just by putting teams together. And we call those teams uh, here, um, when we can put vascular and podiatric surgery together, we call that the toe and flow model, where you can put a toe doctor like me together with my flow amigos, like our on uh, vascular surgery. And when you get those clinicians together, you know, it's hard to do, right, to have different specialties together. It's like herding cats. But, you know, uh, hard things can still be fun, and it, it sure is here. You know, and that's when a lot of the magic happens, and you can really help. And and the data there are so good now over the years in putting people that care about the problem together. Of course, I'm preaching to the converted because you know this. Uh, but, but we're seeing this happening now, uh, you know, for patients. And so there, with all the terrible, there is quite a lot of hope. Um, and that's the good news. And, and, uh, you know, I think there's a place over the next generation where there's, where we can, uh, really virtually eliminate what we would call preventable amputations. And I, I think it's marrying, you know, a team, uh, with, uh, technology, right? We always say team with technology and a little tenacity to be alliterative. There we are. Yeah. You're, I love it. Yeah. It can only be done with that 
integration of that teamwork in. So just, I know that we're pushing for time and you're in clinic. So thank you again for giving us your time. But just my final question would be, if you had one piece of advice to give to quite a new clinician, not necessarily a young clinician, but maybe someone quite newly graduated or newly coming into the area and decided to specialize, whatever. And how would you advise them if they were a bit apprehensive about embracing digital technology as a clinical tool, what piece of advice would you give them? Well, I mean, look, I think if they were trying to embrace something like this, I would say, I'm not even sure what the alternative is. Uh, you could be a, a bit of a Luddite, and of course, the world needs Luddites as well. Uh, but but uh, I, I, I think you can embrace these things, but you know, we need data as well, right? You know, in God we trust, all others must show data. And I think I think one could be a real hyper early adopter, but at the same time, marry that with skepticism and uh, and 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 always saying, well, how is this going to improve care? Um, or is it going to make more make my life more complicated? And by the way, sometimes it's both, uh, in, especially early on. But ultimately, if you really just embrace it and just go for it and get on in there, uh, and, uh, you'll find that initially there's a little extra work, but at the end of the day, the payoff uh, on the other end for improved care and just and and with your patients uh, uh, is uh, uh, just absolutely positively worthwhile. I couldn't uh, speak to that anymore. Brilliant. Thank you. Not at all. That's all for today. Thanks to Dr. David Armstrong and Dr. Joanne McArdle. And to you all for listening. We'll see you again next time. If you enjoyed our podcast, please be sure to subscribe and to leave us a five-star rating. To learn more about digitizing wound care, please visit our website at healthy.io. There you can also subscribe to our newsletter or reach out to us for more information. Until next time, keep well, stay healthy.